Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so glad that you're with us. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're starting a new series today, but over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the uh, famous excuses in Scripture, uh, where individuals found reasons to tell God no or not right now. And we're going to walk through a few of those examples, not to, to shed a negative light on these individuals, but to show how God uses these individuals with their excuses, with their doubts, with their insecurities, hopefully as a means of encouragement. And so this morning we start with Moses. I love the story of Moses for a lot of different reasons, because I have kids, Moses, they're great bedtime stories. They're action-packed. They're filled with a lot of, of different things that you can kind of highlight when you're telling a kid. Uh, probably not necessarily a bedtime story. Now that I'm rethinking this, this is probably why Whitney has to help put the kids to bed because um, of my animated uh, Egyptian fighting stories. But the story of Moses is fascinating for a lot of different reasons. And it's because we often look at where Moses ends up and we often overlook how he got there. And so what we'll do this morning is we'll look at the story of Moses and discuss how he got there. But to do that, we have to start in Exodus chapter 3 with the story of the burning bush. So now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. This is really one of those origin stories for Moses. It's an encounter with God where Moses sees something that captivates his attention. And we often kind of disconnect ourselves from these type of stories. And we say, oh, that's a, that's a Bible story. I could never experience anything like that. But in some form or fashion, we've all had those burning bush moments. For me, it was years ago when Whitney and I were in Paris. Brag. We were in Paris. Uh, we were trying. It was before kids. Before you could do, you, we did fun stuff then. But um, we were in Paris, and we went to this Montverde uh, Cathedral. It's one of the be most beautiful sites in the city of Paris. It's at the top of the city. You can see so much of the whole region there. And as we were at this cathedral looking at it, we noticed that there was a crowd of people who were surrounding a, a street pole. And when we got closer and we kind of started pushing through the crowd to see what it was, an individual had climbed on top of the street pole and was juggling a soccer ball. If you've ever seen this, it was this incredible thing to see, but it was this moment where we, we had so many questions. One, why? That was the first question is, why? And it's the, the chicken or the egg. What, what happened first? Did you climb on the pole to find a soccer ball? Were you on top of the pole and then someone gave you a soccer ball? But it was this moment for me where it was it's the scene that was happening that I had to know more about. And we've all had experiences like that. And Moses certainly has one here in Exodus chapter 3, where this bush is burning and Moses just has to know more. And Moses has this dialogue with God, and then it continues in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. And now the cry, where this God speaking to Moses, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And we like to focus on Moses in this light, where he has this experience with the burning bush, he hears God's command and he goes. 
There's a whole story that connects those two things for where Moses has the burning bush experience and then when he goes back to Egypt. And we don't want to overlook that or skip it because it helps us understand how God works through doubt, how God works through insecurities. And, and to communicate that a little better, I want to tell you about somebody that was born in 1879. I've got a baby picture here. Just This is a fun game for me. Does anyone know this baby? It's a new game we're going to play. I'm just playing. But no one... It's like, no one's like, I don't know. Why would I know that old baby? Um, but this is widely considered one of the most influential physicists to ever live. Uh, was born in 1879. And probably by now you likely know that his name was Albert Einstein. Next picture, this guy. Uh, ironically, the hair didn't match up as a baby. I thought that was very fascinating when I was doing my Google image searches this week. Um, Einstein hair on the baby didn't, didn't happen. But... Although a lot of people know uh, Albert Einstein for his famous formula, mass-energy equivalence formula, which I definitely Googled, um, most don't know how his life began. And the reason I'm referencing Albert Einstein in a sermon is because he had a lot of opportunities for excuses. A lot of people may not know this, but Einstein suffered from what is now known as Einstein syndrome. For about the first five years of his life, Albert Einstein could not formulate sentences. Um, Judah went through a period of, I'm not con- connecting Judah to Einstein by any means, but, but Judah went through a period where, and, but hear me out, but Judah went through a period where he wasn't speaking either. And so like for us, we went to a speech language pathologist and they helped us figure out methods to help Judah communicate a little bit better. And, and during the time of Albert Einstein, he didn't have that then. That's what I'm trying to communicate there. And so for the first four to five years of his life, he, he wasn't completing sentences. He couldn't talk. He couldn't communicate. And then when he got into school, he was obviously distracted. Uh, he had kind of issues learning early on, and a lot of it had to do with he, just, he wasn't interested in the subject matter. And I reference Albert Einstein, one, because you can already see the excuses that were potentially there. I can't communicate. I can't use my words. I don't know how to articulate what I'm feeling. But in a similar fashion to Moses, Albert Einstein had this burning bush moment. And if you know the story of Albert Einstein's life, his moment was discovering a compass. At the age of five, Albert Einstein was given a compass. And all the biographies that I looked through this week, what they said was he was so fascinated by the invisible forces that deflected the needle in the compass. He became consumed with it. And for him, that was his moment where he had to figure out what was going on. He was not going to let his his inability to communicate, he was not going to let these excuses pile up and say, okay, I I can't communicate, I can't talk, I'm struggling at school. He, He didn't let any of those negative things derail his life. He took that burning bush, that burning compass moment for Albert Einstein, and he became, again, one of the most influential physicists that has ever lived. And I don't know about his drive or his why, but I'm positive that there were periods of insecurity and doubt. The five-year-old not being able to communicate would have been frustrating and exhausting. His parents would have been worried about, what do we do with Albert? He's not communicating. But he didn't allow those excuses to define him. And there was that moment, I think, with the compass where he realized that instead of thinking that I can't do this, he started saying, why not me? So as earlier, I mentioned that Moses' story is often relayed, Egypt, burning bush, return to Egypt, deliverance. But that misses a large part of his journey. Moses doubted God. Moses doubted himself. 
And if we ignore this, we ignore how God can deliver us from doubt and provide the confidence that we need to serve. And so let's go through some of the excuses. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You can see the doubt. You can see the fear. You can see the lack of confidence in Moses' voice. He's like, I have no business going to Pharaoh and telling them that, you are, that I'm supposed to deliver them. And we've all felt this way. And one, one time or another, we've all felt this way in our lives where we question our self-worth and our value. And we wonder, how could God possibly use me in this moment? But God reminds Moses that he is not alone. God has not and will not abandon Moses. God is with Moses. In verse 12, God says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that, that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now it's easy for us to say, okay, he has an excuse. He says, God, who, who am I? And God says, hey, I'm with you. I know you feel like you're on an island. I know that you feel like you're alone, but, but know that I am with you. But Moses doesn't stop there. Because Moses, like a lot of us, can quickly figure out, hey, I've got more excuses up my sleeve. And in verse 13, Moses says this, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I think a lot of us look at these moments of, of questioning that Moses has, and maybe it's just like he's trying to just figure out, the, he's trying to figure out where God is going with this. Guys, that's, that's not what Moses is doing. Moses is looking for an exit ramp. He's looking for any way to get out of this moment where God is calling him. He does not want to go in front of Pharaoh. He's afraid. He lacks confidence. He doesn't believe that he has what needs to be within him to do these tasks. And so when he says these questions, when he asks these questions, it's because he doesn't want to do what he knows that God is calling him to do. He says, what is his name? Then, then what shall I tell them? And God answers, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that may not mean a lot to you, but this, when, when I've gone through the story of Moses, this is like the most striking element in the story. Because it's this moment where we stop and we pause that God is making this, this divine and powerful statement. He's saying the creator of life has sent you. The reason that you have breath and air in your lungs has sent you. It is powerful and divine. And there's a lot of us here as we read through the story of Moses, we look at it and we're like, oh, that would have been me. Like maybe if I would have got to that first question, but after God tells me that I am has sent me, then I'm in. But we do that weird, it's hindsight, guys. Moses wants out. Moses does not want to go where God is calling him to go. And so even though God gives Moses this divine and powerful command that the Creator God has sent you, the most powerful being in existence is calling you, Moses, to deliver your people out of slavery. Moses continues with his excuses. He's still in this moment of, but not right now, God. Or God, figure out something else. Find someone else. 
chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, what, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? I mean, he's working through every single excuse that he can find not to do what God has called him to do. I mean, think about this. We've gone to, who am I? Who are you? And what if, what if they don't believe me? And God does this, this really amazing thing in this moment. Let's go to the next slide. So they start talking about Moses' staff. Remember, Moses is, is a shepherd. He's in these fields, and he's, he's tending to a flock, so he's got a staff with him. And, and I want you to see that in this moment, that God can use what you bring to the table. And so God draws attention to the staff that Moses brought with him. It says, Moses threw it to the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Do you see what God is doing in that moment? When God challenges the excuses of Moses, God is telling Moses, you are already equipped with what you need. You have already brought to the table, you have already brought to the table what you need to have the confidence to stand before Pharaoh, to deliver your people from the persecution of the Egyptians. And so God uses this staff as a reminder to say, I'm already with you, Moses. You're doubting yourself, but you've already got enough to do what I'm calling you to do. Quit doubting yourself. And so we've, we've worked through three excuses already, but I hate to spoil it to you. Moses isn't done. He's got more excuses up his sleeve as to why he cannot do what God, what God is calling him to do. Let's go to the next slide. The next thing that Moses thinks of is his speech. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I, I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. I thought a lot about this statement because, again, it's Moses saying, okay, I feel like you're going to ask me to talk to people, God. I've never been a good speaker. I've never been a good communicator. I don't know how to use my words the way that, that would challenge people, that would draw them out and say, let's get behind that guy. One of the biggest fears of a leader is when they say, all right, who's with me? And you look and nobody's behind you. It's scariest thing ever when you do a charge and you're like, oh, it's just me. And that's what Moses is afraid of. That's why we know this isn't just a dialogue. What we're getting with these questions is Moses' like, real deep internal fears. These feelings of doubt and insecurity. That there's no way that God could use somebody like me. And you also hear a little bit of the, the lies in this too. Moses is royally brought up. Moses likely would have had training in this subject matter. But he's saying, God, I, I'm not your person. God, I, I can't talk. I, I can't speak. But just like the staff, look at how God responds to this. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? who makes them deaf or mute, who gives them sight or makes them blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Again, when Moses presents an excuse to God, 
God provides an answer. When Moses says, this is why I can't do it, God is saying, this is why you can. Time and time again, God says, Moses, just like the Egyptians, I will deliver you. I will provide for you. I will lead you. And we're returning in verse 11 and 12, we're returning to that same mentality of the I am has sent you. The creator God, the most powerful God in all of existence, that is who is sending you, Moses. God is saying, Moses, I am with you. Put the excuses aside. And my favorite one in Moses' journey is in verse 13. It's not even an excuse. Moses just says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. J.J. a few weeks ago mentioned the idea of voluntold. This is kind of what Moses is trying to do here. He's saying, God, anybody else. I mean, do you notice that too? We're talking about the deliverance of Moses' people. The deliverance of the Egyptians or the Israelites from the Egyptian slavery. Moses should be excited and confident and ready to walk into this. And the last thing that Moses says to God is just send somebody else. I don't want to do it. I'm not your person. But here again, God delivers for Moses. It's a little bit longer, but Moses, or God says this, the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if, you were, if he were your mouth, and, if you were, <clears throat> and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Do you see what God does in this moment? See, we live in a day and age where doubt makes us weak or unable to be used, but that is not how God sees it. God sees our doubt as an opportunity to grow and to learn. When Moses doubts God and himself, God does not reject Moses, but provides for Moses in that season. God doesn't see the excuses as means of disqualification, but an opportunity to show Moses that he is already equipped and that God will be with him on this journey. And if God can make these promises to Moses, God has made them to you as well. In your doubt and in your insecurities, you need to realize that God is trying to show you opportunities of growth and reflection that God has created you with the skills and passions needed for the kingdom. And instead of saying, not now or not me, God, we need to be people who say, why not me? This realization is one of the most freeing feelings that when we recognize that God is with us and providing a path for us to transform, welcome, and serve. And so like Moses... We need to work through the excuses and the reasons why we aren't doing things that we are called to do. We need to just grab our staff, look for a friend, and get to work. Let's stand and sing together.